Welcome to Let's Talk Parish. Let's Talk Parish will be an opportunity to learn about some of the people that call the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament in Sacramento, California, home. My name is Chris, and I'll be the host for today's episode. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hey, Steph, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Welcome to Let's Talk Parish. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, we're sitting here in your dining room. Yes. Yeah, normally uh, most of these interviews are done in the in the rectory, either in the, their dining hall or in uh, TT's office. So this is a very special thing for to be in your home. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's very nice for me to be here. This is a happy place. <laughs> it is a happy place. And it's a comfortable place. <laughs> and it's a safe place. Yes. Yes, yes. So um, as per our tradition, uh, we ask God to bless our time together and the Spirit uh, inspires us in our conversation. So mm-hmm. uh, you have agreed to uh, say our opening prayer for us. So I in, uh, invite our listeners to, to join in, in a word of prayer. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, Jesus, and Mary, you are here with us. Uh, thank you for this time together, this space around us. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to have mercy on us, grant us deliverance, grant us peace and love and joy and happiness to us and all our listeners. And we ask that the Holy Spirit come upon us as we speak together today. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so um, were you born, were you baptized as, a, as an infant, cradle Catholic? I was, yes. H- here in Sacramento? No, in Monterey, California. In Monterey. Yeah. Okay. And were you... So would you have a big family? I had, um, I have three other siblings. Okay. So um, I remember going to church as, when I was three, I have my first memories of church. At no that kidding. Time, and I loved it. I was just like, I loved the colorful banners on the walls. I loved the music. I just will always remember singing glory and praise to our God <laughs> on the top of our lungs. At three years old. At three years old. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, so my mom and dad just thought it was so cute, but I wanted. I told everyone at the church that I wanted to grow up to be a nun artist. A nun artist. A nun artist. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> wild. <laughs> so, of course, my parents like, oh, you know, listen to this. Listen to what our daughter wants to do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, the artist part is has come to pass. Yeah. Um, the nun part, not so much. No, no. Not so much. So was your family, I mean, did they go to Mass every Sunday? Did you have devotions, family devotions? What was it like growing up? Um, we went to Mass every Sunday, and... Um, my my father was a cradle Catholic and very much a cultural Catholic too. Um, my mom, however, was a convert, and so Catholicism was just totally new to her, and she loved it. She just fell in love with the faith. Um, and uh, but we went to church every Sunday, and slowly as time went on, like we just kind of increased different things that we did. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was um, uh, eventually we started praying the rosary at home, 
Um, and uh, we did first Friday devotions, mm. saying the stations of the cross, mm-hmm. you know, especially during Lent. I remember going to, um, you know, this, there was a, the oratorians had a house in Monterey. and The, or, the oratorians? Oratorians. What's that? It's, uh, it's an order. I don't know much about the oratorians other than the name and that there was a priest that was, you know, um, that lit, there were a couple of priests that lived in that house. They had a perpetual adoration chapel. Were they brothers or sisters or priests? priests. Or, they were priests. priests. Okay. And um, so we would go to the Oratorian's chapel to pray the Stations of the Cross, and they would always have this very simple soup afterwards. Hmm. And um, that always inspired me because I thought, you know, just – just what a beautiful tradition to gather and then, you know, during Lent have this simple meal. Um, so we did stuff like that. And um, actually, I'm now remembering um, my brother and sister, my old, uh, my older brother and sister went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be just like them because I was number three. Of course. And they wore uniforms. I wanted to wear a uniform. Um they went to school. I wanted to go to school. Um, but I was in the afternoon preschool class. Okay. And I loved my preschool. I was very um, social there. And um, I had my best friend that we always, my best friend was named Luke. The same name as my father was Luke. Oh, how cool. And um, in the morning, because I had the afternoon, I would go to daily mass with my mom. And... Um, I have tons of memories of sitting in those cold pews at San Carlos Cathedral in um, in, in Mon- Monterey because my siblings went to uh, San San Carlos School that's right next door to oh, okay. the to the cathedral and um, I remember doing things like counting the buttons in the room because I was just so <laughs> bored. Oh, you were bored. I would get, but at the same time, it was a very like quiet, content, peaceful. But, like, I would count how many people were wearing glasses. I would count how many oh, wow. buttons I saw. And, um, you know, and then, so I have, you know, I have very early memories of, of mass. Right. Kind of being a part of part of our everyday life. Did you still have the enthusiasm that you had when you were three? Um, it was different because the liturgy was different. There wasn't music at that daily mass. Mm, okay. Um, it was definitely more somber. Mm-hmm. Um, Quiet, kind of like daily mass at the cathedral and yeah. the Blessed Sacrament. Well, here. plus minus the music, right? We have no music, and well, at the daily mass there's music at the cathedral. Well, we sing, but we it's sing. still a cappella. Yeah, but there at this daily mass I went to, there wasn't even no singing. Even. Singing. Oh wow, okay. There wasn't. Um, I think it depended on the priest, really. Okay. So there was. Um, I think sometimes the priest would do something, and sometimes not. And um, you probably this will probably come up at some point in the podcast. But I was after um, preschool and kindergarten. My mom homeschooled us, so you didn't go to Catholic school like your siblings did. No, I but I liked homeschooling just as much because I liked being around my siblings and my mom okay. and my and my family. What, what was the year separation between you and your older brother and sister? So um, my sister, the, there's basically. Um, my sister was born in 82. Peter was born in 84. I was born in 86. Okay. So it's like two years 
between each of you. Mm-hmm. Okay, then, so relatively close. And then down the road, we adopted my little brother, Mark, oh, who okay. was born in 1995. 95. So we're all in even years, except for Mark, and he kind of starts the rotation <laughs> going into even or odd numbers, depending, you know. It's right. like, okay, it's going to be the odd birthday year, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, there was another memory we had. Again, the Oratorian priest he would say mass at the four-door chapel. So there used to be an army base. Okay. And that's kind of how my mom landed in Monterey was because of the army. Oh, okay. And um, she and my dad actually got married at the Presidio Chapel. And that's um, in San Francisco? Uh, in Monterey. Oh, in Monterey. There's a Presidio in Monterey, oh, okay. too. okay. It's probably just a general name for a military mm. thing. Yeah. And um, we would go to this daily mass with... Um, I think his name was, I want to say Father Joe, but I, I might be wrong. But it was. Yeah, we, we can go with Father Joe. He would always sing Hail Mary, gentlewoman, Aww. at the beginning of each Mass. Like Really? No, he never missed a day. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so I really got to know that song, and I loved it. I just, you know, I um, never got really sick of singing that song, even though he sang it every day um so that's kind of like my faith background like mm-hmm. in my childhood how we grew up mm-hmm. and of course you know with the rosary it was like oh mom we're playing don't you know we're playing right now we don't want to pray you know <laughs> and you know it was a test to see if you could read a book and recite the hail mary at the same, at the same time. time oh my god you know and would mom notice if we're doing it in the car <laughs> <laughs> so your was your mother um more of a religious person than your father was or were they pretty much even my mom definitely more okay she kind of um spearheaded all of that Mm -hmm. um and um yeah that yeah that was always kind of difficult for them because they never really saw eye to eye exactly on how they wanted yeah to live out their faith that can be a conflict Mm-hmm. So when in in homeschooling, was there a faith component to the homeschooling classes, or was it just all just scholastic stuff? Big time. We had you know big pictures of you know illustrating the Our Father mm. in our. We had a um, for a while. We had a backyard schoolhouse. It was meant to be a mother in law unit, but my my father and my mom, mainly my dad, with the construction in there he converted it into a schoolhouse oh no kidding and um we would go out there every day we were even featured on the news one time because they were like interested in homeschooling families you know and they showed us like going down the steps to in the backyard off the deck into the schoolhouse you know that scene (laughs) kind of goofy and um (laughs) uh you know i had i have good memories in there um I essentially, I started programming my own curriculum by the third grade because my mom said, well, we have the choice between all these books. Which ones do you want to do? And oh. I'd say, well, I really like this vocabulary book. Uh-huh. So, and then she would buy the books for me. And then, so I'd have maybe six or seven books and in each, you know, one for each subject. Mm-hmm. And then she said, well, you need to go through all these books in a year. So here's a calendar. How many pages are you going to do each day? So I would program, I'm going to do page three to four. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then um, i just check it off as I went. Right. And um, 
so I had a lot of, my mom gave us a lot of freedom to, um, to think about just, you know, our education and, um, you know, just, you know, she didn't mind if we made messes. She didn't care if we, um, you know, got into the sewing stuff and started a project all of a sudden. Right. I mean, you can incorporate that into your schooling even. Yeah. So, you know, it's very, um, I was allowed a lot of creative license. That's cool. Growing up. That is cool. Um, to, to make things to, to create, I have a lot of memories of making, um, like I made a, seen a diorama of the martyrdom of St. Joan of Arc. Oh my gosh. Out of like pipe cleaners. Wouldn't that be fun to have still? (laughs) (laughs) I made, I did my very best to read the old Testament and make an absolute copy of the old, the Ark of the Covenant. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know what a cubit was, but I was, you know, trying. Sure. Um, so there were a lot of, you know, I had that, there were a lot of very, really rich, rich faith moments in mm-hmm. growing up. Did how long how many years were you homeschooled? I was homeschooled from 1st grade to 7th grade. And and then what happened? Um I skipped 8th grade and I went to a a so <laughs> where it gets interesting. <laughs> I went to a vocational school on the East Coast. So, how do you get to skip the 8th grade? So um the other thing my my parents were into, especially my mom, was Regnum Christi. And um, we went to ECYD, all these youth groups. Okay, do you want to ex- explain what that is? It's an order. Okay. So um, it's kind of, um, it's also known, the priestly order is the Legionaries of Christ. Okay, sure. So the Regnum Christi would cover the lay people, and then the third order, which would be the consecrated man or woman. And um, this was a school that they started for young people to think about a vocation in their third order. Okay. um, At least for the women. Um, For the young men, it was also for the priesthood. Sure. Um, So in a sense, I did live out my non-artist dream for a little bit. Um, For a little bit. And where was this located? In Rhode Island. So you went from Monterey to Rhode Island. Monterey to Rhode Island, and I loved it. I had never been in a classroom since preschool and kindergarten, and I loved the academics. They were just so challenging, and I had never, you know, answering questions, getting involved. Like, history never made sense to me until I had a teacher at that school who brought it alive for me. Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, history made sense to me. Wow. Because before I was just reading it in a book. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, so there were, um, I was very uh, glad to be part of a community. There were uh, probably 80 other girls um, with definitely mixed reviews about the experience. Mm. I was very enthusiastic about being there. I'm okay. not sure everybody was. Oh. Um, well, what was life like in the, in the school? It was very regimented. Um, the, probably the hardest thing for me to adjust to was not having any free time. Um, literally we like had, you were used to having at home. Yeah, literally we, ha- and I had no sense of time. It was hilarious. They made me the bell ringer as my first job. And 
I had no concept of time. I was I had I was homeschooled. I didn't have oh, to yeah. abide by a clock. A clock. All I knew is that I wanted to get my homework done before daily mass so that I could play after in the afternoon. <laughs> that was my only clock. That was your goal. <laughs> and so So what did what did the bell ringer have to do? I had to ring the bell 3 minutes before an activity ended and then right on the dot when the activity was supposed to end. So you can imagine how horrible I was at oh, that. Yeah. And so we'd be in a class and I'd be like, "Oh wow, this is a great lecture." And then all my my other classmates would be looking at me, tapping their watches, going, it's, like, it's time to ring the bell. Time to ring the bell. <laughs> so did you have, did you, was the bell ringing, were you responsible to wake people up in the morning? No, the, um, the consecrated women would do that. They would I see. literally walk into the room, say, Christ, Christ, our King. And we'd say, your kingdom come and jump out, of, jump out of bed and start praying a Psalm. At what time in the morning? Do you remember? Uh, six. At six. Yeah. And so... It was tough. I mean, just managing time because we had shower rotations and sometimes I was the third person in the rotation and we only had a half hour to get ready. So it was kind of tough to, and then, you know, during the day there, we'd have increments of 10 minutes of free time, but we never had longer than 10 minutes or 15 minutes at a time. And wow. so a lot of the um, parts of that was just getting around to the next thing we had to do. So there wasn't really... Uh, a lot of time to really do, um, yeah. you know, anything else. <laughs> yeah. What time was bedtime? Uh, probably around eight or nine, nine o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. How many years were you there? Two years. Two years. Yeah. And what is you, and when, in, in, in looking back, what were the benefits that you got from going through that experience? I think living the feast days, Mm -hmm. um, I know what it's like to live the tritium with a silent retreat. Mm -hmm. And I try to replicate that in my current Catholic life. And it is impossible. Well, yeah, especially now you got Jesse going. (laughs) It is impossible. And I got a Rex. (laughs) Well, who's tougher, Rex or Jesse? Don't answer that because I don't want to get you in trouble. But, uh. (laughs) But, um, you know, I... I, um, I, those were such, of course they're different. It was different because I had, I was youthful and, you know, still just growing up and not having the same maybe richness. Sure. What you were like, what, 17, 18 years I was, old. Um, I was there from 13 to 15 years. Yeah. Years old. Wow. Oh yeah. Eighth grade. I'm thinking high school. So eighth grade. Well, I did. Yeah. Fresh, you'd be yeah, like skip date. Then you skip date. So yeah. You'd freshman be and sophomore 12, year. 13, 14. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you were ch- you're still a kid. Yeah. Pretty much. So you're there for two years, and that gets you to about age fifteen. Fifteen, somewhere in there. Um, may I ask why you left? You may. So um, I we had weekly phone calls with our family, mm-hmm. and things at home were starting to break down. Oh. And my mom would call me uh, crying every week and mm. event I you know uh, eventually she asked me if, if I would come home and it's hard to be so far away and and there was no question in my mind <laughs> about of course. whether or not I'd go home I right. don't think I even thought about the religious life or whether or not my vocation was in danger I just knew I needed to go home to go home yeah and um, when I went home it was a totally different landscape. Than when you left it? Than when I left, because 
my sister had gone off to college. Okay. My brother Peter had started high school, and um, he had also gotten very much into computers, and so he was mm. very absorbed in coding. Mm-hmm. And um, so he was. He kind of had that world going on with him, and um, my dad had moved out. Mm. And my parents were trying to figure out whether they're going to separate or not. Now, before you got back home, did you know that was happening? Or was it all? A, I knew my dad had moved out, okay. and I knew that they're that they were having issues. Okay. But then when I got home, it was just it was Mark, my little brother, mm-hmm. and me, and we were ten years apart. So a five year old with oh. a fifteen year old, and and my mom, and. That was no amount of phone calls to my sister at college could bring her back. And, you know, my brother was, you know, my brother was focusing on his own life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had been away for two years Mm -hmm. and uh, Mark was just a kid. Yeah. And I I was just a kid. You were still a kid. I was just a kid. And so that was a very hard time. Oh, I'll bet. Now, was, did you start high school then when you came back to Monterey? I or? ended up homeschooling for a year. Okay. And that was so isolating for me at that point because my homeschooling friends from before had all kind of moved on. They'd all either moved out of the area or um, just started on other schools and were among their other school friends. And you're a teenager. And this is a time for socializing. This is a, you know. Yeah, and I didn't. I I was very much um, isolated. Yeah. I had a lot of time to myself. And um, that year, the the plus sides of having time to myself, I did get better at drawing, and I learned how to play bassoon. And you think I, you learned those things as a way to take some of the pressure off of the family experience, or I think I was just dead bored and, yeah. and alone, yeah. and um, you know, so I um, I did my best to try to do things with my little brother, um, but I was also grieving the loss of my family. Sure, and um, you know, we we'd do stuff. I'd take him to the beach, and we would. Um, play games together sometimes big sister um but it was difficult so he had he had his daycare and then um you know i ended up spending a lot of time in the garage listening to cds i got from the library Mm -hmm. and um drawing and i'd wake up in the morning and i would think well i could um do my homework or i could play bassoon and i thought well i'd much rather play bassoon then homework? Then do my homework. I, so, I can relate to that. So I would um, practice bassoon sometimes three hours in the morning. And it, this may sound kind of romantic, kind of like, oh, she's so artsy and creative. You know, it was a very hard time. Those were the probably the things that saved me from probably worst things that could have happened. Could have happened, yeah. So what what was your faith like during this time? I lost my faith. Okay. I thought... It was very hard for me to go through the um, kind of the breakup of my family. And I didn't understand. I didn't understand how God could be present. Mm, boy, that's a question a lot of people have yeah. during hard times. 
because I was still going to daily mass and trying to keep up my commitments that I had uh-huh. from the school that uh-huh. I went to. Uh-huh. And um, but I had no support. I had no I had no community. I had no. Um, there were a couple like of my my like mom friend like they're moms of my friends. Okay. That I became closer to during that time, mm-hmm. um, and those were kind of like little comforts, like a little sanctuary. But then when I went away, you know, I, I'd have to, you know, deal with the fact that I didn't have that at my my home at the time at that time, right? And um, so um, I didn't practice for about ten years. No kidding. Ten years. Then you know it's amazing that how important your faith was to you early on, mm-hmm. and the experience of those two years living in that vocational school back in Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and then and then losing all of it. Yeah, it's it's yeah, I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard stuff. Mm-hmm. So you had a year of homeschool when you got back. Um, and then what happened after that? I um, enrolled in a small charter school because I was I had never been to a I had never been to a public school, a private school. I I had yeah. no, I didn't want to um, I didn't want to deal with the public school. Okay. Um, and so at this charter school, it was a brand new school, so everybody was a misfit, kind of. <laughs> um, so you fit in. So I fit in just fine. <laughs> But I didn't really, I I didn't really learn a lot. There were probably two classes that I really liked, okay. really got a lot of out of. So this would have been what a junior, senior year of high school, senior year, senior so year. I you know I I basically cruised through my senior year. It's more about the socializing and coping, mm-hmm. um, and um, it was. It was a very quirky experience, and actually, that school got shut down <laughs> because um, the administrators were pocketing the money. Oh, so no. it was kind of like I just had this m- mishmash of high school experiences, and I think that's what I talked about in my essays to colleges mm. when I was applying. Was like I've done this and this and this, you know? Yeah, you did not have a traditional no, high school experience at all, and. Um, UW liked that, University of Washington. Okay. Um, I took a year off between high school and college. Okay. Um, I didn't really, I worked at Starbucks. I, did you stay in Monterey or did you? I stayed in Monterey. Okay. I actually spent, that was kind of an interesting year because I spent some time with my aunt and uncle in Dayton, Ohio. And um, I lived with, I ended up living with different family members okay. for different parts of that year. Mm-hmm. And that actually grew my relationships with my family. That's awesome. Which was very healing. Sure. Um, I became closer with like my uncle and my aunt. Um, I don't think, if I think if I never lived with them, I don't think I'd have that same kind of. Probably not. Um, experience with them. And my grandparents, um, I lived with them. Um, and you know, for someone who didn't have friends, I stayed home and what would I do? I would watch the history channel with my grandfather. Oh my gosh. And, um, I never in took like 
anything from the shows we watched because that was not the way I learned history. Remember, I had to have a teacher. Oh, that's right. A teacher kind of animated. Bring it life to yeah. you, sure. So I don't know, but I would just sit there with my grandfather and just kind of watch the History Channel go by. Just to be with him. Yeah. And that also um, changed my relationship with my grandparents. I became I became closer to to both of them. And um, then I went to University of Washington, and I and that's located in Seattle. Seattle. Okay. So um, I kind of wanted to throw myself in the deep end of the pool because that was the largest school I'd ever even I the largest school I'd ever been to at that and point completely was, secular. Yeah, and um, it the largest school I'd been to was 100 people, 150. Oh, yeah, this is thousands of people. It's 45,000 students. <laughs> That's a lot of people. And um, it was just a really culture shock. Oh, I'll bet. It was a total culture I'll shock. I'll bet. And um, it took me, I don't think I ever really, freshman year was so stressful for me. Because I didn't understand how to socialize with all these people. And, Were you living in the dorms? Um, I was, yeah. And eventually I got my own dorm room um, because I, I found it too stressful to be living with two strangers. Okay. I had a triple. Um, I was living in a triple. And I didn't know how to do that. So I just got my own dorm room and... It felt a little lonelier, but I knew how to live that way, if that makes sense. It it does, yes. And um, there was a nice girl down the hall who invited me to come share an apartment with her and her friends um, the next year. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, great, that's a great opportunity. And so I ended up living with those uh, that roommate uh, for the next three years. So you learned how to... Be able to, to live with someone. Yeah. And, and make it work. Yeah, I was definitely more comfortable. And I was definitely more comfortable in a, a smaller situation. Mm-hmm. Like not, you know, 30 people on your floor. Right, right. And she wasn't a stranger at that point either. No, no. So Were, Now, when you went, was your, you know, you had a, uh, an interest in history. Was Did you think about maybe having a history major? Or when did you no. go into the art major? I never majored in art. It was kind of funny that way. I never wanted to ruin it by studying it too hard. Oh, interesting. Which later on in my life, I did that anyway. Anyway. um, I (sighs) didn't know what to major in. And so everyone asked me, what's your major? You know, there are three questions. What's your name? Where are you from? What are you majoring in? Right. And I would say undecided. And people, you know, go... Okay. <laughs> Disappointment. And then, so everybody, what are you majoring in? Oh, pre-med. And so eventually I just said, pre-med. What are you majoring in? Pre-med. Just to say something. Just to say that I was majoring in something. And I was like, I better sign up for these classes. And pre-med's not easy. No, it, it was it was fascinating. I drove myself to take chemistry and calculus and found out that I was actually good at them. No kidding. And... um when I passed on from the pre-med mm-hmm. major, some of the people I knew that were in the classes were not mad, but maybe a little, maybe a little mad at me that I was leaving because they were str- like, we'd study together sure, and 
I had already tutored. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I was good at chemistry. Okay. Not like an A plus good, but, but I was good enough to help people, other people out. Yeah. And, um, and then I said, and there were other people who were really invested in becoming a doctor. Oh and yeah. Struggling. They probably with. felt a little bit of betrayal. You jump ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that was an interesting period. And I, I, um, at the end of the year, I just asked myself, well, what am I doing? I don't, I don't, I don't think I can afford in my life and in my mental, what I'm prepared to do mm-hmm. kind of, to be in school for another 10, eight years. That's what it would have taken to become a doctor. Right. And, um, I, it was not my passion. Mm-hmm. And so I looked back at my life and there were two or three English teachers that were very influential in just being awesome in my life. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if my high school English teacher could do that and be that for young people, that's what I want to do. Oh. So um, I didn't really have... I dream. I dreamt on that a lot. I I've spent a lot of my college years thinking about how I was going to teach, how I could teach. So you shifted your major then from pre med to, to English. English. And at, at what state were you? A sophomore, junior? I I switched after my freshman year. After your freshman year. Yeah, and um, that was in its own right a difficult major because I tell you, I took me five six years to ever want to read a book again. <laughs> after that English major. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. And I what I I wasn't I was a nerd. I spent a lot of time poring over these obscure texts that my teachers thought we needed to read. Oh my gosh. And novels and circular conversations in class. And by the end of my senior year I was just like, I'm done with this. I'm just I don't even know why I majored in this. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and, um, so you gave up on the thought of being an English teacher then, too, huh? Well, I knew I wasn't ready for it. Oh, okay. I knew I wasn't. And I knew to, to teach, I would need to get a credential. And I wasn't ready to take those steps. Okay. So, um, and I wasn't. I, I don't think I, back then I had the, the maturity to deal with, you know, being in charge of a classroom. Or, okay. Um, so I just continued to work at Starbucks. That was my college. So your whole college experience, you worked at Starbucks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, that's where, and that's where Starbucks started, right? With Seattle. Yeah. So that started my career with Starbucks because (laughs) by the end of my, the next couple years, I had been promoted to a shift supervisor. Okay. And, um, my store that I was working at closed down, and that's a whole other story. I have, I know, there I have all these Starbucks stories, but you don't need to hear them. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll pass on those. And um, I ended up working downtown Seattle, mm-hmm. and then eventually I got transferred to the corporate office, and um, well, big time to work in their cafe <laughs> to supervise their night shift. The big time. Yeah, and I was kind of rebellious because I was starting to get sick of Starbucks because I thought, you know, I'm I'm doing I'm essentially a night manager and okay. I'm I'm getting paid like X, and I don't think X is enough. Right. And um, so I became a little, but I had a great time working in the corporate office. Like mm-hmm. that was I had the 
I had a swing shift. I worked from 11 in the morning to 7 at night. Okay, that's not bad. I had, we had tons of regulars. I knew all their names. I knew where they worked. I knew what they liked to drink. I knew what they liked to eat. I knew how they liked their lattes. I still remember regulars from Monterey. I have, like, not, I can't remember everybody, but there are certain people that just, I can't forget. Forget, yeah. And um, I really was blooming there for a while, but then um, there was just kind of a, funny movement that happened where I became disgruntled and got very dissatisfied Mm -hmm. with working there. Even though things I was learning so much and Mm -hmm. I was enjoying the job, the influencers around me were not supportive of that job. Okay. And we're trying to, we're feeding that kind of. You're worth more than this. Yeah. But without any sense of like, well, what's a productive thing to do about that? Right. It was more like just complain about it. And so eventually they, I lost my job there. Um, okay. And that started a, like a domino effect of me leaving Seattle, landing in Camas, Washington with my mom for a while, and eventually, bam, landing in Sacramento where my dad has been living has been living so your mom moved from monterey then to be closer to you or or? she had some friends in washington um close to camas uh which is close to vancouver okay not to be confused with canada but there's the very close yeah close to portland or vancouver actually is in both the u.s and canada right i mean it just sits right on the border there yeah so she lived in a small town east of that okay and um she had moved there because the she knew some people, we had some old homeschooling friends there. Mm-hmm. And then um, she knew the cost of living was a little bit more feasible sure. than Monterey. And um, so that's where she re- ended up raising okay. Mark. That's where she raised Mark. In Camus. And so then, after, so then after you left Starbucks, you lived with her for a little while. Mm-hmm. For how long do you think? Um, probably a month. Oh, a very short very period short of time. Period and then you moved to Sacramento mm-hmm. where your dad was living. Which just yeah. brought you here. Which brought me here. Okay. And when you got here, did you, you took some time off from finding employment or did you look for work right away or? So, um, my dad wanted me <laughs> to work on my mental health because at that point I had kind of deteriorated. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed with bipolar during my sophomore year of college. Of college. Of college. Okay. But I managed, I had episodes every year, like clockwork. Um, yet I managed to finish my degree. And. Um, now, were you keeping, did any of your classmates know what was going on with you? Or? Oh, big time. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, that was a little tough. That was definitely. I'll bet. That was tough. I'll bet. Um what about people at work? They knew what was going on? Yeah. And actually, Starbucks was very good about uh, giving me medical leave. Okay. And uh, keeping my job for me. Nice. And they were um, supportive. Um, That's great. And um, if only they paid you more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, in retrospect, sometimes I think, what if I had just not gotten so upset about that? You know, when, but you know, then my life would be totally different. Totally you different. Know, it'd be yeah. a totally different. Yeah. 
It's a tough game to play. The, and what, I don't, the, the what I don't if really, game's a tough one to play. I don't really play what if games yeah, you know, with no my point. life. There's um, no point. But, um, okay. yeah, so by the time I landed in Sacramento, um, I had probably spent about a month and a half to three months mm-hmm. in a not healthy state. Not a healthy state. And... Um, my dad said, I want your job to be, figure this out. Work on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad, you know, with, with everything that happened with my family, he had to deal with his own demons, you might say. Sure. And um, he As had all. the tools to say, he had the tools to tell me that, mm-hmm. to tell me that that was a priority, mm-hmm. you know, and he helped me along that, that way. And literally, um, I'd come home at the end of the day and he'd say, how was your day? What did you do? And I would talk about my day. And that probably made the biggest difference in my life that anyone, almost anyone has ever made. Wow. Just my dad asking me. How was your day? How was your day? And then walking me through my day, you know, sometimes, you know. Where are you going? What are you doing? I'd say, well, I have to go to Rite Aid. (laughs) And that's not not a relationship you'd had up to that point. No. With anybody. No, and my my dad had been living alone for some time too, mm-hmm. and um, we just became very compatible. Nice. And he was the one who brought me to the cathedral because he thought it was just a cool building, and just from an architectural point of view. Yeah, with the re, the remodel and oh, okay. um, you know, he's like, yeah, this cathedral got you know redone. And uh, it's pretty cool. You want to see it? Let's go to Mass. Um, and um, eventually I, I sat in those pews and I thought, I think it would be good. I'd already been going that direction where I was starting to believe in God again. Oh, no kidding. I actually had two people in a psych ward who were just beautiful, beautiful, God-loving souls. Awesome. They played guitar. They sang. Two guys, one young, one older, and um, I sat in my room that day, and the sun was coming through these dappled windows mm-hmm. that blocked the you know the view, so you get privacy. And I thought the light was so beautiful, and I thought this is the God that I fell in love with it was the one that creates this beautiful sunlight. Mm-hmm. And the to me, there was just a little rainbow of light on the wall. And I thought, I think it would be okay to believe in God again. Wow. um, So the breach was starting to heal up. Yeah. And so I had kind of gone and come and gone with that thought Mm -hmm. for the, you know, for a few months. Mm -hmm. And then I sat in the cathedral during a Christmas mass with my brother, Peter, and um, who had come from the Bay area and my dad and, um, it was during a long homily. And that happens occasionally at the cathedral. <laughs> and I thought to myself, there are so, the, during the homily, every beautiful thing about the faith was brought up. Mary, the sacraments, you know, everything that I had loved. And I thought, how could it be bad to love these things? And um, so that's when I kind of thought maybe... I'm ready to start going to church again. So wow. I started going to week Sunday mass mm-hmm. and um, I was still kind of 
on the fence about everything. But and, still, there were there was movement. Yeah, and then by February, I had joined the choir, and mm. I was um, starting to sing at the daily mass, and that was kind of the beginning of the end. And what year was that? Do you remember? Um, that was 2011. 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's when I joined. I uh, My dad literally had to kind of push me to towards Rex to be like, okay, just go audition. And um, Had you sung before? I mean. I had only played bassoon and flute and piano. I had never sung. Oh. And. Uh, I sang in the university singers at University of Washington. Okay. Um, but it was a choir that you didn't have to audition for. It was probably a huge choir. It was huge. Yeah, you get lost but in there. In my audition, Rex would say, oh, that's great, that's great. Uh, you sang, you sang. <laughs> <laughs> and so he said, I'll accept you on probation. And then I told the other altos that, and they said, we're all on probation. I think we're all on probation forever. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, and that's where I met Rex. And um, I'll never forget when we told the choir we were engaged, they had no idea. We had been subtle enough, I you guess. You were keeping it on the down low. We weren't trying. <laughs> but, uh, they uh, just erupted. Erupted in just, oh my gosh. It's awesome. amazing. You know? Yeah. And that was kind of, the beginning of my joy in married life hmm. and kind of just a very joyful period. Sure. Now, having seen what your mom and dad went through, mm-hmm. was there any trepidation about? Oh, huge, huge trepidation. I, let's just say I did a lot of work on myself mm. and in my mind and in my heart and soul to know whether or not what I was doing was really what I wanted to do. Right. Um, I still didn't really know no, because no one can. No one ever can. No one ever can. No. But I made that choice. Mm-hmm. And I took that risk. And, um, you know, I'll, that was what um, Father McMahon at our wedding, I don't know if you remember that homily, he no. said the word daring over and over. Oh, and did he? he? Said, Marriage is a daring prospect. You know, you are undergoing, you know, and not in a bad way, in a very, like, almost virtuous way. Sure. And I'm sure any married person can relate to that aspect. I'll bet. And, um, you know, so things just, just, that was, that was a very, uh, I, I, that just started a lot of good memories in my life. Sure, of yeah. course. And I know the the wedding and the reception are they they are historic. Yeah, actually historic. It was quite something to be to be a part of that. Because uh, I, you know, I don't. By then, I think I had joined the choir also by that point. So I got to know you and Rex a little bit. At that, you know, mm-hmm. by then and going to all that stuff, that was awfully fun. So. As you're, you've made your way back into uh, life in the church, your faith is being reinvigorated. Um, you've got this new uh, husband, right? Mm-hmm. What? How? How were you practicing your faith at that time? Did you have a, a devotion? 
that was close to you or what, how did you, how would, how would you um, describe what your faith life was like at that point? Um, I am not a morning person. Mm. So my faith life was the liturgy of the hours first thing in the morning. Okay. Um, That was my big prayer. I would um, stumble through that as Mm -hmm. I drank coffee. Tried to wake up. Tried to wake up. Um, That was my routine for a long time because Mm -hmm. I lived very close to the cathedral with my dad. And then after I married Rex, uh, we actually lived in the same apartment that my dad and I lived in. But then it was me and Rex, Mm -hmm. which was amazing for me. And your dad moved out? My dad had moved out by that point. Okay. Well, there were a lot of little moves in between, but we landed back in that same sure. that same one somehow. <laughs> and that was um, another beautiful thing my dad did for me because the I was getting through the wedding was exciting and beautiful, but also very difficult for me. I remember. And um, I was coming home. After a hospitalization, because I had become allergic to one of my medications. Oh, so right before the wedding, mm-hmm. and so we were trying to. We but you didn't know that yet. I knew it. We were trying to sort it out. I see. But we hadn't figured out the next right one. But then um, we, I went to a uh, hospital, and they gave me something that worked for me. Mm-hmm. It still works to this day. Oh, nice. Um, a combination that works for me, mm-hmm. and um, my dad had taken our entire Rex in my apartment and moved it into that apartment, that old apartment, mm-hmm. exactly the way we had had it before when my dad and I lived there. Get out of here. Because that sense of stability, sure. you know, uh, mm-hmm. familiarity, <laughs> mm-hmm. for a lot of people is very important. It's very important. And when I walked in, it was like... You felt at home instantly. I knew... Things were just going to get better. Good. And um, so, um, what were we talking about? We were talking about. Um, what was your faith like at the time? And oh, because that had to do with the daily mass. Because I would wake up in the morning, uh-huh. stumble the, through my the hours, hours, get ready. Of readings. Get ready. Go to the cathedral. Mm-hmm. Canter daily mass. And then eventually I started leading the rosary and the divine mercy afterwards. Oh, that's right. I remember that. And working with Deacon Dawn. Mm-hmm. And so that was my that was my routine for a very long time. Walk to the cathedral, canter daily mass, lead the prayers, and then go on with my day. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to school at Sac City. And I studied art there. And that's when you started studying art. What inspired yeah. you to do that? My dad. Oh, really? He said, I think it would be good to you, for you to, to, you're really good at art. Why don't you take some classes in it? And I was so scared because <laughs> there's another school. Yeah, um, of course. And here we go and again. he literally, I was like, I don't know how to get there. I have to ride my bike. You know, he rode his bike with me, dropped me off and um, that started my kind of mini art career at Sac City, mm-hmm. where I also um, ended up becoming a TA mm-hmm. and doing several art shows, becoming part of an art, art critique group mm-hmm. um, with several other painters and bringing in my quirky paintings inspired by scripture mm-hmm. with Latin on them 
you know, and then, I, you know, some of the other painters would be like, what is this Latin, you know? Right. I just like shrug my shoulders and um, tell them the translation. <laughs> um, and that was also a very exciting time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very um, valuable to me, memories of um, just working on my skills as an artist and with these teachers, I mean, the teachers, the art department at Sacramento City College is just a hidden gem. They have so many good classes and good teachers. Um, and um, I, I'd recommend it to anybody who, who would want to be interested in taking an art class. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking at the time. It's 2.20. Mm-hmm. I know you've got an appointment at 3. Um, but there's a whole lot more to the story because we haven't even got to the birth of Jesse and um, there's, there's just a, and I don't know if we want to have time to actually cover a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing an, uh, uh, part two in, our, in your future, <laughs> have it to, to pick up where we're going to be leaving off. Um, and, uh, but there's just a lot that, that takes place. You know, you, uh, the, the fire and, um, uh, just a lot more to talk about. Uh, your relationship with uh, uh, the Abbey up in, in Vina um, and how, it, you know, what, what's going on there. And um, So I'm looking forward to sitting down with you again, not, not too far in the future and, and picking up where, we, where we're leaving off. Um, but one of the things that I found that, inspired me and really impressed me about you was being a mental health advocate. And I remember when I saw your picture on the billboard, I'm like, I know that person. <laughs> um, and you've, you've mentioned it briefly, but um, for whatever, whatever your comfort level is um, with mental health advocacy, if there are people listening, I mean, what, you know, the times that we live on are, tr- are very difficult. They're very trying. Mm-hmm. And um, I've heard a lot, especially going through the year of the pandemic with COVID, with the lockdown, that people are sometimes dealing with their own mental health. Um, what, what would, you know, how would you, or what type of advice would you share for people who are struggling with their mental health? I'd probably say um, as difficult as it is to reach out, it is um, very, um, I think it takes a posse to feel better, Mm. to figure it out, Mm -hmm. to make sense. And I believe in trying a little bit of everything. I tried therapy. I tried classes. I tried groups. I tried medication. I tried yoga. I tried meditation. I tried, um, you know, a routine. Mm -hmm. I tried, um, you know, making friends who have some, the same diagnosis, Mm -hmm. um, or even different diagnosis, but still living with something. Mm -hmm. And, um, I tried a little bit of everything and I think it takes, it takes, more than just one person supporting you. I think it takes really kind of like raising a kid. It takes a, a village. You know, I have a, mm. 
I have a psychiatrist. I have a therapist. I um, I have people I talk to. Mm-hmm. I have I worked on my relationships with my family so mm-hmm. that I could talk to my family. Um, and I have different communities that I may not talk about mental health with, but I have places where I can go. Mm-hmm. And um, that's made it livable for me so that I don't remember that I even have a diagnosis hardly ever anymore. And um, not and never, but it's not like I never struggle. Well, sure, <laughs> you know? I mean, something that you've learned to live with and mitigate. and Yeah, um, but it, I think the hardest thing was to try to live with my struggles alone. Those, oh, I'll bet. those two years during high school, that one year particularly. I think that was that. So that's why I say, even though it may be very, because I know when I was 15, I did not have the strength to reach out to anybody. People don't want to admit it either. There's still, yeah. as much as we think we are open minded society, there's certain things that people tend to keep private because they don't want other people to know what's going on. Because they think they're, making, they're going to be judged, they're going to be thought less of, or, or what have mm-hmm. you, or made fun of even, right? Yeah, and there's, um, you know, it's, um, I, I totally get all the, all, this, all the scary reasons why you wouldn't want to ever talk about it or reach out about it. Um, yet I'm also believing in the fact that there are a lot of changes, especially in our state, in our county. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of nonprofits and city county programs that are advocating for mental health and people who you can um, access through the count the county. There are people peer part. There's a whole new movement called peer support. You know where people are getting jobs because they have a diagnosis oh, because wow. they have experience so that they can have lived experience that they can mm-hmm. bring to the job. They can bring to the job and talk to their clients sure about and how important is that and teach classes so there's a whole new uh, movement towards peer support which is also opening up jobs sure of course for a for a lot of people and um and sacramento has more of that than any other city i've lived in so far and um there's even stop stigma, which is where how I got to be on a billboard and mm-hmm. a bus. Um, they stop stigma. Sacramento is a great resource. Um, I still get their emails. I don't have the same time to donate, right. but um, that's an organization that trains people to go out and speak publicly about mental health to educate. Mm-hmm. And I've done that. I've gone to high schools and Calpers and um, just speaking about mental health. Some people just want to hear your story. And um, I've had very positive reactions from people that I've shared through that organization. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the beautiful side of it, you know, that there is a lot of change. There, is, there, are, there are people, there are a lot of people who want to um, support and learn. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's, the most important thing for people who are suffering is that interest in others who may not have a diagnosis, but the interest to, to support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's really the life changing part that I experienced with my dad because he was willing to support big time. Me. And um, that 
helped me when I didn't believe in my own recovery plan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, so that's why I say I think it takes a posse. It's not takes just, a posse. Yeah. All right. Wow, I have certainly enjoyed this, and um, uh, I enjoy our friendship. <laughs> uh, and with, with with Rex and with Jesse, I mean, just it's just been a blessing in my life to know you and your family, and Luke. Gotten to know Luke a little bit, um, and like I say, I hope we get to sit down and and uh, bring things into the present because we'd love to hear the whole getting pregnant and having Jesse's story, um, but we don't have time. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, bring this to a close, and I invite our listeners to join us as we uh, as we pray the Our Father together. Okay. All right? Okay. In the name of the Father, yes, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our, our Father, Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks again, Stephanie. Um, have a great afternoon, and I'll probably see you this coming Sunday. Sounds good, Chris. All right. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Let's Talk Parish is co-produced by Rex Rolanka, Titi Kila, and Chris Jensen. Our theme music is Live and Be Happy by Valentina Ribanova. You can listen to Let's Talk Parish by going to the cathedral website at cathedralsacramento.org or by searching on your favorite podcast app. Wherever you find us, please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. A special thanks goes to the Rector of the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament, Father Michael O'Reilly. If you wish to donate to the Cathedral, please visit our website at cathedralsacramento.org. There you will find a button labeled Donate. I'm Chris Jensen, and I have had the pleasure of being your host for this episode. Thank you for listening, and until we meet again, may God be with us all.